Psalm 121, one of the great psalms of comfort and strength. Just imagine in your minds as you turn it up how many countless hundreds, thousands of times Christians have turned to this inspired poem and song for help on the journey through life. Psalm 121, a song of ascents. I lift up my eyes to the hills. From where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. He will not let your foot be moved. He who keeps you will not slumber. Behold, he who keeps Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. The Lord is your keeper. The Lord is your shade on your right hand. The sun shall not strike you by day nor the moon by night. The Lord will keep you from all evil. He will keep your life. The Lord will keep your going out and your coming in from this time forth and forevermore. Amen. Now you'll see on the service sheet that um, I have no headings. And uh, after five weeks in the Psalms, I've succumbed to what I should have done on week one, is that Psalms just say one big thing to us. And the preacher's instinct is to carve it up into three. You just can't do that. So five weeks in, I've learned my lesson. Here's the point of the psalm. The God who helps us on the journey. Now, I want you to get this immediately into your minds. The Christian life is not us living faithfully as Christians on a journey. As much as the Christian life is God who helps us on the journey. The Christian life is God to us first, rather than us to God. God is always in control. His is the initiative. There's one phrase that runs through this psalm in terms of the words. It would be this. The Lord keeps you. That's what it says. Help for the journey. Now, the title at the head of the psalm, A Song of Ascents, that is part of the original Hebrew text and therefore important for us. The Song of Ascent or Songs of Ascent are a group of psalms used, would have been sung, recited on the pilgrimage up to Jerusalem to worship God in the temple. As the people of God journeyed three or four times a year to Jerusalem to worship him, pilgrimage, Passover, whatever, they would sing these songs of ascent as they uh, traveled. Christians, I guess, still do. We play music in our car when we go off somewhere, not uh, psalms like this, I guess, a word alive, CD or whatever. And, and that's what it is. They're singing songs on a journey. And they cover a whole range of different experiences. Some are laments, the mourning for the state of our lives, the mourning for the nation of Israel. Some are thanksgiving, some are royal psalms. 
And uh, this one is uh, a psalm, a song about where their help comes from. Now, how do we read this psalm as Christians? We, after all, are not on a pilgrimage to a physical temple to meet with God. When the Lord Jesus came and died and was raised, he opened up access to God for us all of the time. We are constantly at worship in that God lives in us by the Spirit. We are his temple. You can't go to the temple physically because we are the temple wherever we are. We do not go on pilgrimages to meet God because he is found in one place, in Jesus and thereby in us through faith. But that does not mean in the journey through life as Christians, our sense of closeness to the Lord Jesus is always the same. For do we not drift? Do we not get dragged away by our circumstances and lose our perspective and sight of the Lord Jesus? Our confidence in God is shaken, and we need to keep coming back to the Lord Jesus. Not to doubt his care, and this um, will help us do that. For the Christian, the Holy Spirit indwells us, allowing us to worship God, to speak with him continually, which is a wonderful thing. But our circumstances pull us away. And we read a psalm like this, and the eyes of our hearts are refocused on our God. A pilgrimage, if you like, back to the Lord Jesus in us. Now, there's another dimension as to how we can read and apply this psalm to our lives as Christians. While we walk with Jesus, while our journey through life is in him all of the time, while he's with us, there is a, a not yet bit in our lives as Christians, and that is that we are not home yet in a new creation. Somebody asked me just a week or so ago, will the new creation be quite different from this world? Of course, It'll be radically different. Our home for eternity will have no tears, for example. I was struck by that at the wedding yesterday. It was a crying wedding. I was marrying them, and all around me, people were crying, and I was having to look up. And the speeches had tears in them. They're tears of of joy, but even in the tears of joy, we, we, we express as humans, there's sadness, there's, there's memories, there's who isn't there, and there's the fact of, of, of it'll not be like this forever in this earth. And yet there will be no tears in the new creation. We are not home yet, and, and so these Psalms set our minds on a pilgrimage to that eternal home. They bring us back to the Lord Jesus, and they point us forward on the journey to that eternal home. Now, one other very particular application of this psalm to our circumstances as a church family, I guess it's obvious to us we have embarked on a bit of a journey. We've left, I guess, a, a physical home. And uh, let me remind you that this is a holiday home, even though you love it. It's like a caravan. I'm trying to make you love it less. <laughs> We're on a journey. 
with a very certain destination. But humanly speaking, there are things we need to trust God for and pray. And I think God from this psalm has said to me as your minister and to you as we go on this journey, lift up your eyes. Where does your health come from? The Lord. He will not let your foot slip. He's never going to sleep. He will give you all you need. Last thing to say before we plunge in. When should you read this psalm? When you're down? When you're discouraged? When your friends seem far away? When you cannot even almost look up to God because things in life are so hard? Yes, you should read this psalm. That's when we do. But let me encourage you if this morning life is pleasant for you, the lines are being drawn in good places, your friends are strong, that is when you need to read and know the psalm. So that when the tough times come, this psalm and its confidence and its strength will be familiar to you. Now, let's work our way through it and learn from it. Verse 1, I lift up my eyes to the hills. From where does my help come? I guess this verse is asking a question, where are we looking for help? It's difficult to understand exactly what is in the writer's mind. Is it simply that as the pilgrim approaches Jerusalem and he sees the mountains, he's moved to reflect on God? Maybe. Maybe it's the Temple Mount in Jerusalem he's talking of, maybe. When I say maybe, that means the answer is not that. (laughs) Let me tell you what I think is going on. When you think of hills and seas and you're a Scot, we have Irish people here too, you have hills and seas. We love the hills, we love the sea. The Bible speaks of hills and seas in quite a negative way. The Bible speaks of the high places or the hills or the mountaintops as the places where pagan altars and pagan shrines are to be found all through the Old Testament prophets and the Psalms. So I think when he's saying, I lift up my eyes to the hills, is that where my help comes from? I I think the answer is no. Now we're not in danger of looking to the high places to find idols or pagan gods to worship. But we are in danger of idolatry in all sorts of other ways of worshipping this, that, and the other, other than God alone. I think he's saying to us very gently, I lift up my eyes, where is my help coming from? Is it coming from anything other than the living God at all in life? And of course, that might be material stuff, although I always think that we default to say that's the only form of idolatry. I'm not sure it is. Maybe family, friends, good things, self-reliance, maybe our jobs, I don't know. Whatever it is, whatever he means by verse 1, verse 2 is the believer's conclusion. Where do I look for help? From where does my help come? Verse 2, my help comes from the Lord who made the heavens and the earth. That's a fantastic verse. You could kind of take it out and put it on a tea towel. Or stick it on your wall. My help 
in life and in death, and in every way comes from the Lord, who made the heavens and the earth. Isn't that great? What kind of help does the Lord give us? Let me draw some stuff out of the text. His help is powerful. My help comes from the Lord who made the heavens and the earth. The maker of heaven and earth and therefore powerful to help. I think the psalmist wants us to get our minds around. Our, our, our youngest child, um, our inquisitive one, you know, William, very inquisitive. He, he reads books of facts. Um, I'm not going to tell you what I was going to say. I'm, I'm banned from talking about my children because you tell them what I say. <laughs> so you can ask me afterwards. You read a children's encyclopedia about, about creation and uh, about the world, and it's astonishing. You just look at the, the, the intricacy involved in the growth of a tree and, and, or an ocean. And the psalmist, I think, wants us to get our head around something like that. Some of you have been on holiday. Somebody here has been on holiday in Cornwall. You walk along the cliffs in Cornwall. It's magnificent as the breakers smash against the rocks. The God who made all that will help us. And so when you think, can he help me? Of course he can, because he's so powerful, so strong. And yet he's so Concern for you, this God who made the whole earth. It's powerful. It's committed. The name for God used in the psalm is Yahweh, the covenant-keeping God. Just to, to say, when you read the Old Testament and the Psalms, when we come against the word Lord, it's not God the Father. It's God Father, Son, and Spirit in the Old Testament. It's all one God. Yahweh means the God who commits with an unbreakable promise to his people. That is the God who helps you. Yahweh, the covenant committed God. It's in verses 2, 5, 7, and 8 through the psalm. He's powerful. He's committed to you. And the God protects. The word uh, keeps, dominates the psalm. The one who watches over you, your guardian. Verse 3 he who keeps you will not slumber. He who keeps Israel. Verse 5, the Lord is your keeper. Verse 7, the Lord will keep you from all evil. He will keep your life. The Lord will keep, verse 8. What does it mean, he will keep you? It, it, it means, it's difficult to translate, the one who watches over you or your guardian. In military language, it's used of a general. It's that you've got a general beside you all the time. It's not like you've got a, 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 a captain or a major or a sub-lieutenant or a second lieutenant. You've got a general with you. You've got a leader with you all of the time. He keeps you. He will guard you. He watches over you. And a general of an army is always on duty, always concerned, always thinking always protecting, always taking responsibility. It's leadership at its summit. He keeps you. He protects you. And his care of you is constant in the day and the night. Notice verse 
3b, he who keeps you will not slumber. Behold, he who keeps Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. The Lord is your keeper, the Lord is your shade on your right hand. The sun will not strike you by day nor the moon by night. Lots of potential allusions there to the, the danger of the day, the heat of the sun maybe, or the, the danger of the night. I think that might be there. I just think the psalmist is saying, God looks after you 24 hours a day. He doesn't slumber. You know how you slumber. Half past two on a Sunday afternoon after your lunch. Even if you're out for lunch, your kind of head drops. Sometimes that happens to me in meetings. Sometimes it's happened in some of your houses. That The half vigilance of slumber. The Lord never slumbers. He's never anything other than fully awake and fully conscious and fully engaged. And when does he keep you in the day and in the night? Who here has not woken up at four o'clock in the morning and in that half-consciousness of sleep all these worries that were your last thoughts when you went to sleep come back into your mind. I think it's very personal here, very powerful, very practical, that in the middle of the night, when no one else will keep you because they're all asleep, the Lord watches over you. Practically, if that is true for you and you wake up at four o'clock in the morning, Somebody said this to me over the last year. It's very practical advice for me. Get up, read your Bible, and pray and go to sleep. Rather than sit there and lie and worry. It's very practical. Constant and eternal. He will keep your life. The Lord will keep you going out and you're coming in tomorrow. That's Monday. And forevermore. Is that a wonderful contrast? The maker of the heaven and the earth will look after you. And he will do it tomorrow, Monday, the 23rd of June. And he will do it forevermore. Forevermore. The eternal care of God. Now, as we come towards um, the end, let me ask a, a hard question. Spurgeon, great preacher, 19th century, asks these kind of questions when he preaches. Is this psalm really true? But uh, what about that time that the Lord did let my foot slip? You know, when you, you, you walk on a, on a high pinnacle or some hills, I think in Sky, Monroe's, when you, when you bag your last few Monroe's, you need a guide, the inaccessible pinnacle, whatever. You need a guide so that your foot does not slip off the hill. Sometimes, though, people do. And in life, Sometimes, so God, what are you saying here? My foot slipped. What are you saying, God, that in the middle of the night I got up and I read my Bible and I prayed and I didn't go to sleep again? Is the psalm really true? Well, the answer to that question is that God knows that the battles and struggles in this life are very real. And he knows because of our fallen human nature that we will not experience that sense 
of the security of our souls that is free from these things until we are with him in our final home. That's where the psalm leads us. See, when we sang that hymn a few minutes ago, when peace like a river attends all my way. And before that, we we sang the words, sing with me. And on a sunny morning, with much to be thankful for, there are little moments when you kind of get caught up with the truth of these songs, which is great. It's why we gather together to encourage each other. We will not truly know what it means to sing, it is well with my soul, until we are home with God in eternity. But that does not mean that the Lord does not keep us and secure us and guard us. One of the benefits of growing older in the Christian life is the benefit of reflection on one's experiences. And to know that God did not let our souls go out of his grasp. And even when troubles come, the Lord is sovereign over it all. Let me finish with this. And I want you to go away with this so clearly in your minds. What I've called the orientation of the psalm. I think sometimes you think I use big words. When I was teaching in the university, one of my feedback forms from the students, they said nice things. That I was very zealous and keen as a lecturer. But they said that uh, Robin comes to the class and uses a number of words that no one in the class ever understands. <laughs> so uh, I'm sure you know what orientation means. It means, it means the kind of where the psalm is coming from, the direction of the psalm. You see, our default in the Christian life is to think it's, it's us trying to do our best to follow after God. But the psalm is not coming that way. The psalm is coming God to us. Let me show you in the psalm as we conclude. There are three key words in the psalm. Firstly, the name for God, Yahweh. Secondly, what God does, he keeps. And thirdly, that he keeps you. Let me show you that. The Lord. I lift up my eyes to the hills. Where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord. He will not let your foot be moved. He who keeps you will not slumber. Behold, he keeps Israel. Will not. Verse 5, the Lord is your keeper. The Lord is your shade. Verse 7, the Lord Verse 8, the Lord will keep. The Lord dominates the psalm. Second day, the repetition of the word keeps. Verse 3, he who keeps you will not slumber. He who keeps Israel, verse 4. Verse 5, the Lord is your keeper. Verse 7, the Lord will keep you from all harm. He will keep your life. Verse 8, the Lord will keep. See what dominates the psalm? The Lord keeps. And notice, thirdly, how God refers to his people in the psalm. 
Verse 3, he will not let your foot, singular, your foot slip. He who keeps you. Verse 5, the Lord is your keeper, your shade, your right hand. The sun, verse 6, will not strike you. 7, the Lord will keep you. He will keep your life. Verse 8, the Lord will keep your going out, your coming in. Put these three words together. And here is a description of the Christian life. The Lord keeps you. So what the psalm says, the Lord keeps you. Not, I do my best to follow God, but the Lord keeps you. And in a sense, what the psalm is doing is causing us to lift up our eyes and to remember if you're a Christian, that the Lord keeps you. And if you're not yet a convinced Christian, well, the psalm asks your question, from where does your help come in the end, in life and in death? In eternity. And the glorious answer on offer to us all, all of the time, it's to be found in the Lord Jesus, who gave his life that we might live. And that's what lets Christians say daft things on a Sunday morning when they're 45. This is the hymn you want to have at your funeral. The Lord keeps you. The Lord keeps you. The maker of the heaven and the earth keeps you and you and me. It's great. It's wonderful.